see here. We have some text messages we need to go through. In the majority, bottled water is not much better than tap water. In Australia, at least, bit of a waste of money. Uh, buy a good water filter and drink to your heart's content. Mm. I will say, I will say, like, there is good water that exists that's better than regular bottled water. Like, there's premium water. Yes, and you pay for pay more for it than for, you pay for petrol. That's right. Significantly more, <laughs> yeah. like four times the price of petrol. Yeah. Not that I'm recommending to drink petrol. But the reason it tastes so good, so specifically like, like Voss or something, it tastes really good because it has a higher level of calcium in it. It actually makes the water like more wet. I, I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. But, yeah, 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 yeah. You know how you make yep. water more wet, right? You just add soap. Uh, well, so your Voss water's probably got soap in it. <laughs> no, it has calcium. Thank <laughs> It's really good for you, good for your bones, and it tastes amazing. But yeah, like just. I think this is a very valid point, though, yeah. because the majority of your uh, cheapo bottled water is just tap water. That's right. And so you may as well just well buy the bottle and fill it with tap water, <laughs> uh, which is a much better idea. Um, and uh, but I think the concept of getting a good water filter or getting a freshwater tank. Mm. And drinking tank water? Tank water is the best. Yeah, water. with bugs in it and, yep. you know, acid no rain. Subs- no substitute for bugs. You mentioned before <laughs> about you not having minerals in water. So pure water, as good as it sounds, is actually not so good. Like yes. If you drink pure, strained, deionized, demineralized water, what it does, it strips chemicals out of your body. Washes them out. So the Bible talks about spring water. The important thing about spring water and living water, it's full of minerals. Mm. So you mentioned before about the calcium, but you actually there's a mineral balance you want. You want sodium, potassium, so you've got to have both of those in the correct balance. You've also got to get calcium and magnesium. If you get too much sodium, sodium dehydrates and takes water out of the cell. If you have potassium, it pushes water and liquid into the cell. So if you've got the correct balance, it allows water to actually be absorbed. You know how you said before, um, if it's at the room temperature, Mm -hmm. it's much more easily absorbed into your body. Uh The same thing, if you get the correct mineral balance, it absorbs into your body. Because I've heard people say, oh, I drink water, and all I do is run to the toilet. Well, that's because they don't have a mineral balance. You've got to have the minerals to absorb it and hold it in your body. Yeah, there you go. That I, is, think, I think if you drink lots of water, you're still going to be running to the... Well, yes, there is that effect. Toilet more often than <laughs> but you a want person it, who drinks no water. You want it to absorb in at the yes. cellular level. Yep, mm. absolutely. And, and this is this is a realistic discussion right here. I, you know, There is such a thing as too much minerals. If you go out and drink ball water out west, you're going to get kidney stones. Mm. And it's pretty rough. Oh, man, that's rough to drink. But anyway, okay. <laughs> Uh, another comment here. This is an interesting one. I haven't had a chance to actually check the uh, to fact check this one, but it certainly sounds legit. You know, Stonewall. We talked about Stonewall, the lobby group in the UK, financed by one of the organisation's owners, uh, one of the organisation's owner by BlackRock, who basically own the world with a couple of other financial giants. Now, BlackRock. We've talked about this before. Yes, it is a financial giant in the world. Does own sort of like half the world. Um, well, there's a few of them, uh, big organisations like that, um, who in turn own the governments of the world. So uh, BlackRock is so big that you can kind of trace any organisation you want back to BlackRock, but I would not be surprised if there are some very organic connections here, mm. some close, much closer connections because it's kind of like where do you get a lobby group that gets the kind of money that this lobby group has? Mm. It it makes me ask a bunch of questions. Anyway, what else we got here? Oh, on the same subject, talking about that uh, that um, Stonewall lobby group in the UK. 
do you know how much these departments paid for their membership? Wouldn't this delegitimize them? This is a question that came to my mind as I was researching the story. I don't know the answer to it. There are so many departments involved. I doubt very much that what they are doing is illegal. Is it unethical? Well, I think any thinking person can see that it is clearly unethical, but possibly not illegal because how could that many government departments get it that wrong? I, I, mm. It's an interesting one that I do not know the answer to. Anyway, it was recently highlighted by Senator Ch- uh, Claire Chandler from uh, Tasmania, and uh, she has sort of blown the whistle on it. Mm. All right, let's uh, – and, of course, all of these things are really simply pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming back soon because one of the major signs of the times uh, that Jesus talked about would take place just before the return of the world was the moral collapse of society. And we have never seen moral collapse like we are seeing it right now. And sometimes I think that we get discouraged as Christians when we see this, you know, just massive amounts of moral collapse and we and, and, and we look forward to a time, you know, we, we like to, you know, think positively and say, well, you know, it's, it's it's going to turn around. We've seen this in history in the past where you've got massive moral collapse, you know, that follows um, national collapse and then it turns itself around. I fear that it won't this time. I because hope the Bible doesn't. says the Bible says that this is what we should expect before Jesus comes back. If it wasn't happening, then the signs of the times would not be being fulfilled mm. and our message would be empty. That's right. Like I, I just said I'm like, I hope it doesn't happen not from the point that I want moral collapse, but it just means Jesus comes back sooner. Yeah, just just get just get just tear the tear the band aid off, right? right? Just tear it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Deuteronomy chapter four. Uh verse one and two. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, And now, Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I am about to teach you. Obey them so, uh, sorry, obey them so that you may live, so you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to or abstract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord that I am giving you. Okay, so this is an interesting uh, passage right here. What is you know because up until this particular point, what Moses has been pretty much doing is giving you know the Israelites a history lesson. Mm. But now he changes tack a little bit and start, starts talking about the laws and the statutes and the commandments that God and the judgments that God has given to them, and how that this is going to be the key for them to become a great nation. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Okay. Uh, and, you know, if we look back at, you know, what the Bible says in verse... Well, let's look forward. Let's, let's skip down to verse 8. Let's have a look at verse 8 very quickly um, and look at what actually defines Israel as being a great nation. Kelvin, you got that one for, there for us? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as his body of laws I am setting before you today. Okay, so Moses asked the question, what other nation is so great? Is there Mm. a nation anywhere in the world that is as great as the Israelite nation? Mm. So that's an interesting question. Was there another nation that was greater than Israel at this time? Let's ask this question. At this particular time, how much land... Did Israel own? How big was their empire? 
Uh, it was non-existent. Pretty much. They they lived literally in an unoccupied in an unoccupiable desert. Yes. Well, at this time, it at may not time, have been quite the desert that it is now. True, and also at this time, they had just conquered a couple of uh, nations on the True. Uh, western side of the Jordan. Mm-hmm. So it was, but but even still, he's tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Post you compare size. it with say the Elamite Empire, which was uh, in Persia and extended all the way down to where they are right now. Mm. That's a big empire. Compare it to the Assyrian Empire. Compare it to the Egyptian Empire. You know, these are all, compare it to the Hittite Empire. These are all empires that are kind of contemporary with, you know, and and, and either side of this particular time period in history. And these are massive empires. They have huge cities. How many cities does Israel have at this particular point? Well, you've just got Jerusalem. No, they didn't even have Jerusalem. They didn't have Jerusalem. They've got like. They've got a couple of cities on the yeah. west on the west side there that they have burned and destroyed. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, they've they've taken um, Bashan. Yeah, like that's that's like and I think like Gilead. That's it. And they've burnt those cities. <laughs> yeah. So you're not going to get much. You know, a burnt city is not much. They haven't done any rebuilding yet. No mm. rehabilitation. None yep. whatsoever at yep. all. And yet Moses talks and asks the question like. What other nation is there as great as this nation? <laughs> Why would he say that when their nation is kind of, it's not even, you wouldn't even call it a nation, you'd call it a tribe mm. because they've been living a tribal existence. Why would he say that? Why would he ask the question, you know, what nation is there that is as great as this one? Mm. What is it that makes this one great? Well, he he puts his reason, he puts his stake, like, to that claim in the decrees and the laws that they've been given. So, like, the, you know, he's he's saying, oh, look to all the other nations. Look at what they practice. Look at the way they conduct themselves and live. Um, you know, the proof that, like, you, you know, God giving us this law of God is proof that we are greater than them because of our higher level of morality and instruction from God. So really what the Bible is outlining then is that national greatness is not defined in the way that we define national greatness. National greatness is defined by national laws. Moral code. Moral code. Good laws. Mm. Good codes. And this is the question in many ways that Moses is asking here. What other nation has laws like ours? Mm. You know, most of the nations at that particular time, the laws were whatever the king said on the day that he woke up that day. Yeah. And they were ruled by powerful kings who had, you know, powerful followers who did not want to lose their power and they just got to make the rules up. Mm. There were not that many nations that had a codified system of law. Mm. You know, if you look at uh, Hammurabi, for instance, he's very, very famous because he, you know, at a similar era to this one, codified a system of laws. And a lot of people look at the Hammurabi stone and they go, oh, isn't that similar to uh, the Israelites? Well, you'll find a few similarities there and you'll find some that are vastly different. The similarity is that it is not that the laws are similar to each other, but that they were codified, Mm. which was a rarity. 
And so Moses defines national greatness for us. National greatness is found in having great laws. Mm. You, know, you look at the United States and why do we think of the United States as a great nation? It's because of its constitution. Mm. That's what everybody admires about the United States is their constitution. I think it's also like that, yeah, their, their heightened morality led to their future success. Um, and it's, but then you could say like, oh, but then they did everything that they could to defy that morality, like, and to defy God. But I feel like it's, it's such a, like a, a witness, at least historically, and such an evidence of, man, what, like, like, like of God, because what compelled these people to have such a comprehensive system of morality that is so in line with you know, just what is what we understand to be logically good and logically loving, whereas, like, the rest of the world was so barbarian, so uh, just, yeah, uh, corrupt. Like, it was just the king and what he said and whatnot, uh, as you mentioned earlier. But I feel like this is such a, an evidence of, like, man, how is it that, that Israel in this period of time came up with, you know, this set of regulations that, that um, you know, freed slaves and, and uh, you know, gave them a, a social well-being class of people, like a class of social workers and all these things. It's like, how is that even possible? You know, and we, our explanation as believers in the Bible is like, oh, because they were instructed by God. Like that, you know, that, that, that's, that's the only conclusion you can come to. Yes, and it's interesting, verse 9, it says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let, let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children after them. So this was not just the king upholding these laws. These were to be upheld in every level of society by everyone. Mm. All right, and what is the warning that God gives in verse 2? There's an interesting warning right, warning right there. Do not add or subtract from these commands. But. Just obey them. Yep. Ah, Put them into practice. Okay. So was this something that the Israelites were good at doing, particularly when we come down to the first century time of Jesus? Well, I think like they, well, immediately after this, they tried to do a lot of subtracting. Yes. Uh, and then you, you. Let's get rid of the law that says. Thou shalt not have carved images and worship idols. Yeah, and then by the time you get down to... Um, that didn't go so well for them. That, that's right. They ended up destroyed. So they were like, okay, hmm. You know, let's go the opposite direction. What should we do? Oh, let's let's break this command the other way. <laughs> and so then they play the game of addition. And they're like, oh, let's make our lives miserable in the other, in the other sense by just, you know... So deleting laws led to national ruin, and so then they added laws, and they added 660-some laws. And that eventually led to, you know, national ruin. Which led to national ruin. (laughs) There's an interesting commentary that we have here on human nature and the way that human nature works and how that, you know, the devil doesn't care where he has us. He's happy with us being on either extreme. Mm. And he will push and keep that pendulum swinging so that it goes to the left and it goes to the right and it goes to the left and it goes to the right. And so long as we are on either extreme and so long as we are out of balance, he is happy. Okay, so we're going to look at some examples of this because they make laws upon laws upon laws upon laws and then they have all of these laws and some of them are not so beneficial to them and so then they make laws to make loopholes for the laws that they've made. 
So let's go over to Matthew, and we're going to see an example of this. Uh, can uh, uh, Kelvin, you want to read for us the first three verses of Matthew chapter 15? Yep, I'll just get my digital device. Matthew chapter 15. Yes. First three verses, please. First three, starting at verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Somebody just uh, sent through a text message just to comment on our Bible study right here. What other nations had God himself leading them? Mm. You know, because we talked about the thing that made Israel great was its was was not its territory that it held, not its cities that it had, you know, not the land that it owned or anything like that, not even its population. The thing that made it great was its laws, mm. which is what we find in context here in Deuteronomy. But above all of that, of course, is that they have God who is leading them. All right, so we're going to look at this example. We're going to come back. We're going to uh, listen to Anna Beden now uh, with Fill Your Lungs. But when we come back, we're going to have a look at this example in the Bible of where we have a whole bunch of added laws and loopholes to get around God's laws. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so we're going to jump back into our Bible study right now. And Okay, I had yes. a thought. Oh, you had a thought. I had a thought on the Bible study. Oh. Why does, a law, why does laws determine how good a society is? Yeah, good question. Okay, so why? What's because your cause you could just say, oh, because they're really cool and great and they mean you're really awesome. No, because they build great society. This is because it contra- because it's like, okay, hold on, hold on. This uh, is my thinking. I'm like, okay, but if it's good laws and not like lots of money or not even size or whatever, it meant, like good laws in spite of not having the rest of those things build, you know, uh, make a nation great. And I'm like, why is that? Because good laws contribute to the well-being of the citizens of that particular nation or society. Yes. And well-being should be, at least to us, through our eyes or through most people, or at least to God, well-being is the most important thing. Yes. And so that's why, you know, you look at a, I don't know, a country like, I don't want to give an example because then someone could ring up and say, well, that place actually has terrible laws. Um, but the point is, is like, yeah, if if the laws of a country contribute to good well-being of those who live in it, then it doesn't matter the size or the, you know, the amount of money or whatever. Like it can be a small country, but thrive. Everyone can be doing really well. And that is because they're all in a space of having good well-being, which means that they'll be more productive the nation will, you know, expand to its limits quicker. There will always be good trade, yeah, all kinds of things. That was my thought anyway. That's an awesome thought. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's what good laws are all about. They give freedom and they promote good society. And that's what God's laws do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going to uh, Matthew chapter 15, what is the law that is at stake here in Matthew chapter 15, Lawson? Uh, we got there. No, we haven't got there yet. We have just talked about the fact that the Pharisees came and said, why do your disciples break the, tra- the, the transgress the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat? Mm. This is a pretty heavy verse, particularly during COVID when you wash your hands every 30 seconds. Yeah, I was like, bro, these guys must have known what COVID was, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is at stake here? Were, was Jesus and his disciples, were they people who were really unhygienic? I hope not. 
I don't think so. Do you think that Jesus here is promoting a lack of hygiene? Probably not. By saying you don't need to wash your hands before you eat. Just go eat. Like, no, I don't think he is. All right, so Lawson's pretty convinced no. The Levites were a group of people that were devoted to God. Their, Their whole service was for God. Yes. And the thing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they said that they were devoted to God. Right. But were they actually devoted to God? Their actions were a little bit different. Indeed. Mm. So here, here was the, their devotion to God was actually at stake. Yes. So you're judged accordingly. All right. So let's, let's, let's talk about this particular law. This law that we're reading about right here, which is, was the tradition of the elders, had, nothing to, do, had nothing to do with hygiene. Mm. And the way it worked was this. Before you could eat, you would take half an eggshell of water. Pour it onto your left wrist. Let that water run down across the palm of your hands and out through the gaps between your fingers onto your right wrist. Let that water then run down across the palm of your hands and out through uh, the gaps in your fingers and you could now eat. Oh, so okay. how much is that going to contribute to hygiene? Now, that was the law. That pointless. was the first law. That was the first law. So this was for, you know, Ritual cleansing, so now you were ritually clean. Uh, had nothing to do with hygiene whatsoever. That was the first one. There was a second law that was added to this law that provided for people who were in a an arid area and there was no water available. Mm-hmm. Or maybe no eggshell available. I don't know. Um, whatever it might be. If you were in an area where no water was available, you were not forbidden from eating because that would be bad. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted that. And so they made a second law to go with this law. And this is the part of the laws that there were like 600 of them. And with the second law, if no water was available, you could still eat provided that you went through the motions. Mm -hmm. In other words, you do the air version of pouring water on your wrist, catching it on your other wrist, letting it run out between your fingers. (laughs) That's so whack, bro. So you're just going (laughs) through the motions. Yes. And you would be richly clean. It's like, yep, good, you can go ahead and eat now. Oh, dude. <coughs> Excuse me. So this had nothing to do with hygiene. Mm. Okay, uh, Kelvin, uh, are you there in Matthew chapter 15 or are you somewhere yes, else? Yes, Matthew 15. You want to read for us verse uh, four, uh, 3, please. Verse 3. Jesus. 3 and 4, 3 and 4. 3, 4 and 5. Oh, here we come. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Uh, We have here one of the Ten Commandments, right? Mm -hmm. So many people say that Jesus nailed the Ten Commandments to the cross, that he replaced them with a new law, that he did away with them, whatever. Does that sound like Jesus is getting rid of this law here and diminishing its importance in any way, shape or form? No. No. In fact, he's standing up for the importance of this commandment and he is comparing that to the traditions of the elders and saying, all right, which is more important, your tradition? You know, if you want to do that before you eat, fine, go ahead. There's nothing innately wrong about what they're doing. Mm. Uh, But when it comes to breaking the law of God, if you want to break that, then there is something very, very wrong about it. So the Bible says, honour your father and mother. And we read that in today's society and we kind of assume that, well, that means, yeah, that's rather simple. We just, uh, you know, we give them honour and respect and we don't um, have a family feud with our parents. Mm. 
when the Bible says honour your father and mother, it means provide for them in their... Yeah, go ahead, Kelvin. Well, it, the, the word honour, we, we don't truly understand it, but the word here is the same as marriage. So it's, it's worship. The word honour means to speak well of someone and as well as obey. Yes. So when you pledge to marry, you pledge to speak nicely about your partner for the rest of your life. So you really you have no excuse of saying nasty, something nasty about them behind their back because you've actually promised to be nice to them, and that includes your words. So when, when you honour the king, you go into the king and you bow down and worship the king. That's part of honour. So when you honour your mum and dad, you respect them, you bow down, you, you do what their wishes are. Indeed, indeed. All right, so uh, let's see here. Uh, in, in this particular instance, they had made a loophole in the law where they could dedicate their possessions to the temple. Mm, they call that Korban, don't yes, they? Yes, Korban. Dedicate your possessions to the temple, and if you dedicated your possessions to the temple, then you did not have to provide for your parents in their um, later years because it's like you don't have any possessions. Sorry, they don't belong to me. You could use them yourself. <laughs> you didn't lose them. They just, you know, it was just a, they just yeah, reshuffled it's... the paperwork. And uh, it was a loophole that they'd created. And Jesus finishes off this little section. He says, In vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Welcome back to Faith FM. We have come to that time where we get together and we answer A. Question of the day. All right, fellas, our question of the day is, were the Ten Commandments written on blue stone? So this is a really obscure question. And because it's a really obscure question, we thought we have the expert with us today of everything obscure in the Bible. And so the answer to this question is, Kelvin Langman, were they written on blue stone? Yes. They yes, were they were. on blue stone, absolutely. Lapis lazuli or sapphire. Okay, so lapis lazuli is the same as sapphire. Yes. Different I did way not know say. that. Yep. Different way of saying same, the same, same stone. Yep. Okay, so that's interesting. So um, during the – because this, this question did come through kind of late, and so Kelvin and I have both been busily uh, researching here. And so if you head over to Exodus chapter 24, you're going to find this fascinating passage. Exodus chapter 24, beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nabab, and Abayu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. So the Bible here speaks about sapphire stone, which is blue stone. All right. Then it goes on from there, and upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand, and they saw God, and did eat and drink. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up in, up to me into the mountain, and there I will give you tables of the stone, and a law and commandment which I have written that you may teach them. And so there's a definite definite article there where it says the stone. So it's referencing the stone that it was just speaking about in the yep. previous verse. And so it describes the stone, and then it says, I will carve these on the stone. And what's interesting is as they're walking up the mountain, it is under their feet. So it'd be interesting now if you could go find what we think is the exact same spot that Moses went up the mountain. You might find lots of would sapphire. Would you find lots of sapphire there today? That would be an interesting 
that would be very interesting if somebody was to find that. <laughs> I, I tend to think that this was something that God did especially for the occasion. I don't know. A one-off thing? Yes. What's interesting about sapphire, sapphire, when you look at the Rockwell hardness scale, sapphires are the hardest known gemstone under diamonds. Is that so? It is I did the not top know that. of the list of hardness. So if something, all other stones will stumble, will crumble and, and fall to pieces before lapis lazuli or before sapphire will. It is almost immutable. It, and so to be able to actually carve letters into stone like this would be incredibly challenging. Unless you're God. Unless you're God, and you just write with your finger. Yes. And so wouldn't it be amazing to find the Ten Commandments, you know, blue sapphire stone, and then, you know, ask some archaeologists, okay, how were these letters actually carved in here? You know, who actually, who, what, what was the process by which the ancients did this? Here's a, here's a puzzle for you. And, of course, anyone who's read the Bible knows the answer. But archaeologists would uh, definitely, from a scientific perspective, would do a lot of scientific head-scratching over that one, I think. Because, I mean, you think, how many diamonds do you see with with uh, words carved into diamonds? And what's interesting, when they find ossuaries, they can tell whether the inscription is legit or not by what they call patina. So patina is a little bit of surface rust, if you like, and it will rust the same as what the outside of the stone box does. If it's too clean, then it won't. That's all right. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not, not legitimate. Legit. Yeah. So it would be interesting if you could find it, whether you could do that same patina test on these codified laws. It would be fascinating. What's also interesting is that if you go to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 1, the Bible describes the throne of God. And let me just see if I can find this here. Uh, Ezekiel? It's Ezekiel chapter 1 and, and chapter 10. In fact, we'll go to Ezekiel chapter 10 because I know exactly where that verse is. And it describes the throne of God. Uh, where's Daniel? Ezekiel chapter 10. Let me just find it. Uh, in verse 1, the Bible says that I looked and behold in the firmament or the firm place that was above the head of the cherubim, there was an there there appeared over them as it were a sapphire stone as the appearance of a likeness of a throne. And so when you look at the language that you've got here in this particular verse, you've got cherubim and between the cherubim you have the throne, the presence of God. In the Ark of the Covenant you had two cherubim and four in Solomon's temple. Between them you had the law of God. One has the throne of God between it, the other the law of God, both out of, made out of sapphire. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.